All right. Good morning, guys. Can you hear me? Hear me okay? Coming through the speakers good? Yeah? Awesome. Um, well, good morning. Uh, like, like Rob said, uh, my name is Trevor. Uh, I'm H2O's newest staff member, or newest, newest full-time staff member here. I'm a, a full semester in now, um, so kind of getting into the swing of things. Um, I don't know, it's just a, a joy to get to, to be with you here today. Uh, it's always really, really special um, to get to come here to, to preach, because uh, I've gotten the chance to preach at a number of different churches in the state over the last two or three years. Um, but for me, H2O, um, me coming to college, uh, it, it was through H2O that really, like, the gospel um, and just Christianity itself just became, became real for me. Yeah, it, just, it just clicked. It just sunk in. Uh, and it's through this ministry that um, God called me into full, full-time ministry. So it always holds a very, very special place in my heart. Um, and, it, and it's just really a testament to, to the Lord's, the Lord's power, the Lord's grace, you know, that, that the Lord would, would change uh, someone like me uh, in college and really kind of coming full circle. Now I'm, I'm standing up here um, getting to, to bring the word to you. And it was actually after one of, one of Rob's sermons that, that the gospel really clicked for the first time for me. Um, so it's just really um, just such a joy you know, to be here with you. Um, but with that said, uh, I would like to, to wish you all an early Merry Christmas you know, as, as we're entering into Christmas week. And for some of you, that gets you pretty excited. Uh, for others of you like me, uh, who have completely procrastinated everything about Christmas, you know, you, you freak out a little bit and know that uh, the next three days are going to be full of buying presents and get, getting ready for all that. Um, but really overall, you know, I, I really love the Christmas season. You know, Christmas lights, the Christmas movies. Uh, I think I've watched the Polar Express probably seven times already <laughs> this, this Christmas season. That's, that's my jam. Uh, I love that movie. Um, and this week's just bound for, for more of of the Christmas spirit, you know, whether it's family or presents or gifts and that kind of stuff. But it's really my prayer for us this morning, you know, really getting to, to start off this Christmas week um, in, in the presence of the Lord and really acknowledging that, that this is his season, that he, he's the only reason that Christmas even exists. Um, and really, you know, having this, the busyness and the stress and, and all the, the, the glitter and, and all the flashiness of Christmas um, that we can just really be present here um, this morning. Uh, so I really feel like w- what the Lord's put on my heart to share is just, just very, very important, if not the most important thing that, that Jesus held to his heart. Um, and, and that's love. And, and I, I want to take you guys, and I, I, want, to, I want to point to the Bible to, to show you everything that I say. I, I don't want this to be me telling you something. I want this to be Jesus telling you everything. Um, so just even three scriptures. It says, uh, above all, love each other deeply. And another, another verse, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And yet another one, just a verse, a very short verse of do everything in love. So you can see there that Jesus prioritized love. And Jesus just made such a point um, to, to command us to love. Um, and before we go any further, I would just like to, to pray for us, just to really acknowledge the Lord's presence here and really like welcome him into this space. God, we, just, we thank you for being here 
with us this morning. God, thank you for the Christmas season. Jesus, thank you for coming. Jesus, thank you that um, we have hope. We have freedom. We have peace. We just have so much life because you came. And Jesus, I pray that it wouldn't just be the Christmas season that that we acknowledge your presence and um, just embrace your coming, but, but we would do that 365 days out of the year. God, I pray you would just pour out your spirit on this place, God, into our hearts. God, let let the words I speak, God, be your words. God, let the things of you, God, penetrate our hearts and, and transform us and sanctify us. God, let anything that's not of you, God, just simply fall to the floor. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, even when I say the word love, you know, what, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? You, know, you might think of the Cleveland Browns. You know, for some reason, some of us like love the Cleveland Browns. Right? You, know, you may think of, of the love that's in your family around Christmas time, or even the, the acts of love or the acts of kindness around Christmas time. Um, you might, might think of McDonald's and their, their tagline of, uh, I'm loving it. You know, there, there's so many different places that um, we see love uh, in, in our own lives. Um, and we, and really our culture um, around us, we have just such a vast array and vast spectrum of love. You know, here in our culture, we love love. But really the dangerous part there is for all of us, we have different definitions of what we would call love, how we want to be loved, and how we would define love. So, so really this morning, I want to I take these words of Jesus and really look at it in depth and see you know, how he viewed love and what he expected of love. And after all, he is the creator of it, so he knows it the best. Uh, so the main scripture passage we're going to be looking at this morning uh, comes from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 13, and it's verses 34 and 35. It's going to be up here for you. Um, just to give you some context, uh, so this is Jesus speaking to his disciples right after the Last Supper. Um, so just within a few hours of saying these words, Jesus would be arrested. And within 24 hours of saying these words, Jesus had already died on the cross. Um, so knowing that his arrest and his crucifixion was right around the corner, you would think that these words of his would be some of the most important that he's ever said. Because his time with his disciples is now limited. Um, so uh, John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is such a, I mean, really such a deep passage. There, there's so much in this that we're going we're gonna to unpack this morning. Um, and I just want, even just want to read it again here for you. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Um, So to start off with this passage, uh, I just want to direct your attention to even just the first six words um, that Jesus says here. A new command I give you. 
Uh, now, this word command, I know that might make some of you a little uncomfortable, honestly. You know, we, we love our independence so much. Um, but really, brothers and sisters, I need you to understand this deep truth, and, and the Lord needs you to hear this too. That if you are a Christian, you and your life is under authority. Your life is under authority, meaning that your life is directed and guided by commands from an absolute authority. And that absolute authority is Jesus. As Christians, we declare with our lives that I am not my own. I am a commanded person from he who commands all things. And as Christians, we're not only just to look to Jesus for our salvation, but we are to submit our lives to him as well. And whatever he says, because he is the Lord. As much as we try to be the Lord of our own lives, we are not the Lord. Jesus is alone. And I really don't want to sugarcoat this truth, but I think it's so easy to do for us. And I think we're often so guilty of, of living our life as if the things that Jesus said and the things that the Bible say are, are just suggestions of a nice life. That's simply not true, and, and we rob the gospel, and we rob Jesus of his power. We're glory thieves. But you see, the Bible is a book of commands, and its author is he who said at the beginning of time, let there be light, and it was. Let the dry ground and the sea separate, and it happened. Let the dry ground produce vegetation, and it happened. Let the sky be full of stars, and it happened. All of creation heard Jesus at his word and immediately obeyed him. So who are we to think that we can choose what commands to obey and what commands to ignore from Jesus? And when we declare that Jesus is our Lord, we put our yes on the table to whatever he says, regardless of what it costs. We say, Jesus, whatever you say, I'll do it. Jesus, whatever you want, I will do it. Because you are the Lord. And at the same time, you know, this it's kind of a solemn start to the sermon. I'll give you that. But I want you to understand that all of the commands that Jesus gives us are for God's kingdom come. It is a very good thing that Jesus is our commander and we aren't our own commanders because our ship would have sunk a long time ago. We know that Jesus is a warrior, an advocate of bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, just as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. So we know that he's an advocate of restoration, redemption and forgiveness and peace and joy and healing and reconciliation, just all this incredible stuff. So when we do submit our lives to Jesus and obey him, we are just partnering with him in that, bringing that restoration, that redemption, and that life back to this world. So just to give a summary of this first part that I've been talking about, is that we have to stop living as if the things Jesus says to us are optional. We have to stop living as if the things Jesus says to us are optional. Because this is a command, and he makes it clear in this passage. So with that said, I want to expand this a little bit. So 
Um, a new command I give you, love one another. So at first glance, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, in our society, we love love. So it's like, okay, Jesus, like, I can love people. I love my cats. You know? I love my family. You know, I love everyone here. You know, it's like, all right. Job done. We're good. You know, we, we love love. But as I mentioned also, this is dangerous because if we, if we rely on ourselves or if we rely on the lens of our culture to interpret this verse, we are going to miss it. And Jesus, being the perfect leader that he is, he not only commanded us to love one another, but he defined the love that he commanded us to have. And this is the reason why I wanted to preface all of this with saying that we have to obey Jesus because he is our commander, whatever he says. And to, to see the specific kind of love that Jesus commanded us to, to show, we have to take this text back to its original form. We have to take it back to its, its original Greek. And you may have wondered before why pastors do that. You know, they'll, they'll take a passage. If it's the Old Testament, they'll take it back to Hebrew. And if it's the New Testament, they'll take it back to Greek because those were uh, the languages that those texts were originally written in. And it's really not to just flash some kind of knowledge when pastors do that. You know, it's really because both of these languages, both the Hebrew and the Greek, give so much more depth. They give so much more detail to um, the verse. And just to give you an example, for the word praise in the Bible, in the original manuscript, there's these eight Hebrew words. all mean something totally different. Like these aren't synonyms of each other. They're, they're all their own thing. And every one of those eight words get, get translated to praise in our Bible. So we don't, we don't see the difference between these words. Right? And in translation, it just loses some of its power. It just loses some of, it, some of its depth. And like this word praise, love does the same thing. There's actually four different words for love in the Bible. And there are these. So we have eros, that first one, which is a romantic kind of love. You know, a love you would see in a relationship, a love you would see in a marriage. We have philia, which is like a brotherly or, or sisterly love. We have storge, which is a love within a family, a love that's just there. You know, you, know, you, you just have to love your brother because it's your brother. You know? And then this fourth one is agape, where it's God's love. And, and we see this like in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That word love there, like that is agape. That, that is when the word agape would be used in the scriptures to, to define God's love for us. And it's in, in this, when you really peel back the English and you look at the Greek, that you see why Jesus said this is a new command. Because again, like I said, in our culture, new command, it's like, Jesus, we love people already. You peel this back, and it's so new, and it's so revolutionary. Because when you look at this verse in its original Greek, the same word that Jesus uses to describe God's love for us is the same word he uses to command us to love. See this here. Agapeo. Which is just a form of the word agape. So in other words, Jesus is saying, the same way God loves you, 
you love other people. So when, now you put yourself back in the shoes of, of Matthew and Peter and John and Bartholomew and all those guys. When Jesus says, I have this new command for you. Agapeo. What? You want us to do what? Yeah, love people in the same way that I love you. That's incredible. And that is quite the command. And and you can see why I prefaced it with this, that we have to obey Jesus. Because for the rest of our time here this morning, um, we're just going to be looking at the life of Jesus because Jesus is perfect love. So the perfect definition of agape love is to look at perfect love, is to look at the life of Jesus. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning. So first, through the life of Jesus, we see that agape love is undeserved love. It's undeserved love. No qualifiers, no credentials, and no restrictions. Not some qualifiers, not a few credentials, not a restriction here and there, none. None at all. And the best way for us to see this kind of love in the life of Jesus is for us to really take an honest look at our own lives. And in Christian settings such as this, like a church service or a Bible study or a worship night, you hear all the time, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And that's a good thing. I'm glad that's the case because that's the truth. And I don't want you to doubt that. But I think sometimes if we don't really think about it, we start to build this belief that we are actually entitled to God's love. That I'm a, I'm a human. Like God loves me, duh. You know, that's not the case at all. Because it's really a miracle that God loves you and God loves me. And I think it's really, really sobering for us to really dive into this and see why it is a miracle. I'm sure this will probably even deepen your thankfulness and your awe for God. So I want you to raise your hand if you've ever committed a sin in your lifetime, ever. Correct. <laughs> all right. So, we've all confessed in the presence of each other, in the presence of God, that we've sinned. Got that out of the way. So, keeping that in mind, just for now, I don't want you to dwell on your sin, just for now. I want, you, I want to direct your attention to chapter 12 of the Gospel of Matthew. And it's going to be Matthew 12, uh, verse 39, actually. Um, so, this is something. Uh, giving you a little, little bit of context, this group of Pharisees comes to Jesus. They're like, Jesus... We don't believe you are who you say you are. Show us a sign. Prove yourself to us, which is a huge no-no. You don't demand Jesus to show you a sign. Cardinal sin. So um, this is Jesus' response to them. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So they come to Jesus, demand a sign, Jesus ain't happy about it, right? This is a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign. And there were a good chunk of time uh, in my life, I would read this, like, that is such a weird time to bring up adultery. Like, you're asking for a sign, it's like, oh, yeah? You go sleep with people. It's like, Jesus, 
bro, I'm trying to, I'm trying to follow your thought process, but what's going, what's, what's going on here? You know, but, but I couldn't figure it out, so I was just like, okay, Matthew 12, 40, here we go, you know. Um, but one day I, I was reading it, and, and it hit me, and it broke me. Because Jesus knew what he was saying. Imagine that. That adultery was happening, but it was really pointing out something so much deeper. And, you know, when you sin, you are cheating on your love relationship with God. I think so much of the time, we, we look at sin as just like a bad habit. Just something to, to cut out of our lives. But here... I think Jesus kind of pulls back the covers and, and shows how deep and how painful God is, or how painful sin is for God. You know, just a little over a month ago, Susie and I got married. And I, I think about that in, in light of this verse, that if Susie would go and cheat on her love relationship with me, do you realize how deeply that would hurt? How much that would crush you? I know for, for all of you, whether you're in a relationship or not, you can just imagine how heartbroken you would be by that. Man. You know, you can't think of much else that would hurt that much. But this is what our sin does to God. It hurts his heart that much, every one of our sins. So it no longer becomes, oh, let's get this out of my life. But we actually grieve our sin. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry for doing that to you. Yet the scriptures tell us in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still cheating on God, God says, I'm going to die for you because I love you that much. We don't deserve God's love. We, we cheat on God all the time. But God loves us anyway. While we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. While we were telling God with our actions that we hated him, Christ died for us. None of us are entitled to God's love, and not a one of us deserve God's love, but he gives it to us anyway. That's a miracle, and that's, that's incredible. And if that is how God loves us, even with what we've done to him, who are we to withhold love from anyone else in light of that? And in calling us to love unconditionally, Jesus is commanding us to love everyone, everywhere, every moment. Because you really don't think of a condition being friendship. A condition being, I've talked to this person before. A condition being, I'm safe around this person. Unconditional means everyone, everywhere, every moment. If you struggle to remember those three words, here's one, all. Because it's oftentimes the people that are most difficult to love 
that need love the most. And Jesus even speaks to this on us really giving what Jesus has given, into, given to us in Matthew 18 in the parable uh, of the unmerciful servant. And I'm going to read that for you here. Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his, and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, very much less. This dude owed 10,000 bags of gold. Now his servant owes him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. We see this expectation to love others with this same depth of love that God has loved us with. And if you've yet to be convinced that God actually does love you in your sins and in your struggles, here's another example to help you out uh, from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it's Luke 23, 33, and 34. It says, When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Jesus was praying for the people that nailed him to a cross. You know, if I was on the cross, I probably would, be, would have a few choice words for the people who nailed me to that cross. But Jesus, because he loves them, says, Father, forgive them for this. Don't hold this against them. If that's not unconditional love, I don't know what is. And it's the love that God is calling us to exhibit as well. And the next defining feature of agape love is that it is selfless and sacrificial. Selfless and sacrificial. And the scriptures really show us perfectly how Jesus exemplified this selfless and sacrificial kind of love in Philippians 2. I know this is a very scripture-heavy sermon, but if the scriptures explain it, you know, it makes my job easier. All right, Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. 
not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our culture and our society really opposes the kingdom of heaven in so many things and really blocks the kingdom of heaven in so many things. Because we live in a society here in the Western world that tells us our entire lives to strive and work hard towards building up our own kingdom and our own pleasures and our own success and to take care of ourselves first. But this is the exact opposite of what the scripture is saying. You don't see that from Jesus. This is times where, where Romans 12.2 really applies. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We, we are presently in this world, but as Christians, we are not of this world, and this world is not our home. We are citizens of heaven. And we have to guard our hearts and our minds and our beliefs against what the worldly culture around us says. Jesus was the most prized possession in heaven. Nothing and no one like him. The king of all kings, the king of glory, yet he willingly chose to come to earth, taking the form of a humble human servant, and although he was perfectly innocent, he took the punishment that you and I rightly deserved because he loved us with a sacrificial love. That he brought himself down to our level for love. He, agape love says you love others even when it hurts. You love others even when it's inconvenient for you. You love others even when it costs you and you value the interests of others above your own. And if I may be so bold with you this morning, if Jesus had not made it clear to us that one of the characteristics of agape love was that it was sacrificial, we would never love. Because we get so caught up in the busyness of our own lives. Busyness here, busyness there, busyness here, busyness there, this commitment there. I'm confident we would never love if Jesus didn't say it was a sacrificial kind of love. But the fact that the element of this agape love that Jesus commanded us to show is a sacrificial kind of love means that we each have received this calling to sacrifice our schedules to sacrifice our priorities, to sacrifice our busyness, our time, our attention, and our focus. We, we take it all to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, you can have this. I'll, I submit it all to you.
And when we love selflessly and sacrificially, it expresses a commitment to the people that we love, that we aren't holding anything back for them, that they are worth it. And the last defining feature that we're going to talk about this morning of agape love is that it, it is an active love. And throughout the scriptures, we see the Lord giving us uh, many active verbs for a very active faith. So here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. And James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. In Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I think one of the best things that that the devil's ever done to Christianity is to make us believe that passiveness is okay. Not a single one of these verses has passiveness in us, in it. The scriptures wouldn't command us to pray, wouldn't command us to give thanks, and wouldn't command us to rejoice if it would just happen anyway. Our faith is made and is meant to be a very active faith. And this same concept holds true for Jesus' command for us to love one another. One of the men that would have been present when Jesus originally gave the new command to love was the Apostle John. And decades after Jesus had said this, uh, the Apostle John wrote this, which is now 1 John 3.18 in our Bible. It says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Because, brothers and sisters, we can can say we love people all we want. We can genuinely believe in our hearts that we love people. But if we don't actually do it, what's the point? You might as well not love people at all. And it's my prayer that we would actually be people who go out into the world, into our workplaces, into our classrooms, to our neighborhoods, to our own homes. And we would actively look for ways to love people and be intentional about it. In one of his books, uh, a pastor that I really look up to um, named uh, Francis Chan. Um, Some of you may may be familiar with him as well, um, asked the question. It was a very, very convicting question. I wanted to give, give it to you as well. He said, do you know that nothing in your life matters except loving God and loving the people he has made? Or do you know that nothing you do in this life will ever matter unless it is about loving God and loving the people he has made? And your heart may start giving you some resistance about this. Like, my job's important. My school's important. Uh-uh. That's not why you're there. You are at your job to love people. You are, at, you're, you are in school to love people. 
You are in your neighborhood to love people. You are there to prioritize and to bring the kingdom of heaven. You are there to be an ambassador of Christ. Everything else is just other. This is your primary calling. We have to be intentional and active about it. We have to be a church that wakes up. We have to be a church that really takes hold of these communions and runs with it. Because when we were dead in our sins, in our shame, with no way out, we were screwed. We were sinful. God was perfect. There was nothing we could do about it. But Jesus came and sought us out. And there are people in your classes, in your workplaces, in your own home and in your neighborhood that are just waiting to be sought out by your love and that need that love. So let's be a people that actually goes out with this love and actively loves them where they're at. I have another verse from Francis Chan as well. He says, so many people won't do anything unless they hear a voice from heaven telling them precisely what to do. Why not default to action until you hear a voice from heaven telling you to wait? If you're waiting for that voice from heaven, this is it. John 13, 34 is it. Jesus doesn't need to give us another voice from heaven because he already gave us one. A new command I give you, love one another. It's already there. He already gave it to us in his word. We can run with that. Now, with, with all this, it's really sitting in this agape love um, a way I've really come to, to be passionate about this is from like some of the outreach I've done uh, around campus. Um, and, and this isn't a, a plug for outreach, I promise. Um, but it's really getting to talk to people. You just get to hear their hearts. Um, and this here uh, is a board that's up on campus every single semester at UC. Uh, it's in the Steger Student Life Center, right across the, uh, the way from TUC. And the instructions are for students to come and just anonymously write their fears down on a post-it note, and just put it there. Um, and uh, just about every semester, I like to take a picture of it. Um, and uh, because it's a little hard to see for you back there, I've, I've blown some of them up. Um, these are just eight. You saw there were, there were a lot of post-it notes there. These are just eight things that were written on those post-it notes. That I, that I pulled off of them. Uh, and these, these are, are real hearts. These are real people with real fears uh, that, that they've expressed here. Uh, so not being enough, that people will stop loving me. Failure, being alone, giving up on myself, getting rejected, never finding love, never being happy. Why is it important that we actually live our lives with agape love? Because this is what's in the world. 
this person? People will stop loving me? What do you think it would be like for them to hear that they'll never stop being loved? What do you think it, it would be for them to have the assurance this person will never stop loving me? I don't have to do anything to earn it. I'm loved because they care about me. I'm, I'm loved because I'm valued. Never finding love, this person has never experienced love. Being alone, when you're alone, the real fear there is that no one cares. No one loves you. In your classes and in your workplaces, regardless of what people look like on the outside, this is what's happening on the inside. Because in the original plan of creation, we were in union with God, and God is love. And that same love in that scripture is what word? Agape. God is agape love. And without that agape love, people who aren't in relationship with agape love, this is the hole that it leaves. This is the wound that it leaves. Yet you and I are those ambassadors of Christ as if God were making his appeal through us, saying, you are agape love. You are the light of the world. Go, heal the wounds. Give them me. It's my prayer for you this morning that this week for Christmas um, and, and really every week that, that we, you would keep this on your mind, this, this agape love. And, and you would go out to people and you would love them with a love that, that they don't have to work for. They don't have to earn. They don't have to deserve and that you would willingly sacrifice your life to love them, and that you would actively seek that out. Get, ask someone to get lunch. Listen to them. Hear how they're doing. Pray for them. Watch out for them. The homeless out here, go. Just listen to them. Care about them. You know, I could, I could give you a bucket list of ways you can love people, but you know. You know what it is for particular people. Let's go. Let's be love. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are our, our perfect role model. God, thank you that you have given us your spirit. God, thank you that in, in the way you've, you've designed things to operate, that God, we reflect who you are. So God, that we, re, we reflect love into this world. God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. God, give us hearts of love. Give us compassion for the people who are locked down by fears of being alone forever of never finding love, of never being good enough. God, let us meet those fears, God, with your love.
with agape love. And God, I pray that this wouldn't just be another sermon that we hear and it sounds good for a little bit, but nothing actually changes. God, I pray that the workplaces and the classes and the homes and the neighborhoods that are represented in this room this morning, God, would be changed by your love. God, they, they will not be changed by your love unless we take that love there. God, lead us and guide us and continue to call us to love.